and welcome to an interview series by the Picture Books to Gang crew. Picture Books and Justice is a series where we interview a creator from the picture book world and get to know them a little better. To us, there's nothing better than a beautiful, spellbinding picture book that has social justice themes. The picture book world is a big, beautiful place, and we are excited to hear different experiences and opinions in a shorter time frame than our full-length Picture Books to Gang episodes. PB&J is your afternoon book snack, so let's dig in. Welcome back to another episode of Picture Books and Justice, the interview series of the Picture Books to Gang podcast. Today I am here getting a chance to chat with author Jamie Dinahan and illustrator Lorraine Rocha. These two have recently released their second book, When Grandpa Gives You a Toolbox, which is the follow-up sequel to last year's very popular, When Grandma Gives You a Lemon Tree. <laughs> Welcome to you both. How are you doing tonight? Good. I'm, um, can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to your current work of writing and illustrating, like, respectively? Was it always your dream, Jamie? Um, I, when I was younger, I never thought I'm going to grow up and be an author, although I always did love reading and writing, which I think led me to becoming an elementary education teacher and getting my master's in reading so I could be a certified reading specialist. So literacy was always very much a part of my childhood and very much a part of my educational career and my parenting. I taught first grade from 2005 to 2015. During that time, I also became a mom, so my love of picture books just exploded as I worked with my students and grew my collections with my kids at home. I never thought seriously about pursuing publishing a picture book until 2014, and I remember the day I was in my first grade classroom encouraging my kids to be brave writers and I had this idea kind of rolling around in my head, a picture book about, you know, a kid turning lemons into lemonade and that concept just stuck with me and I loved it and I thought what a great motto and way of looking at life and how could I turn this into a picture book. So I started talking about that with my students and we had our writer's notebooks and I still have the notebook and with all of my messy lists and words and little diagrams and sketches of all of my thoughts and I grew that into a manuscript and I continued working on that for a year in my spare time all while having you know two kids 15 months apart and within that year between 2000, 2014 and 2015 I dove into researching the publishing industry at night after my kids were sleeping and after all of my schoolwork was done and learning about the publishing process and I kept polishing that manuscript and was getting to the point where it was almost ready, but I, I knew it needed a lot of work and I had joined a critique group and done a bunch of other things, you know, to learn about publishing. But in, uh, in 2015, my husband was diagnosed with brain cancer. So um, I resigned from teaching almost immediately to be home with my two young kids and help him through surgeries and treatments. And what was interesting was the writing did not get put on the back burner. That was almost like my therapy. So I almost dove into that even harder than I did when I was teaching. It was a positive outlet for me. It became a labor of love for my entire family. The kids were so excited to talk about it and give their input. And 
since Ricky, my husband wasn't working anymore with everything he was going through, he kind of took it on as like a fun project to do together. And we worked on it and I finally sold it independently to Sterling Publishing in uh, 2016. I should, I should rephrase that. I got an offer on my own from Sterling in 2016. And that is when I used that offer as leverage to reach out to publishing agents and say, hey, I have this offer, but I, I want representation. Do you want to work with me? So that's when I started working with my agent, who I'm still working with, Linda Camacho from Gall and Zacher Agency. And then Sterling owned the manuscript. And that is when Lorraine enters the picture because they hired her to do the illustration. Wow, that was <laughs> a lot. And through a lot to get to where you were. I'm really surprised first that you had hadn't always planned on being an author because most people are like, yes, it was my dream my whole life. And, and no, yours like evolved from something you were doing with your class. Some people might say it's just a picture book, but to me, it's, it's really a lesson on how my family is going to handle this very difficult lemon we were given. And we continuously use that message even today after my husband passed away in January. So to answer your question, I don't, I don't know. I, I really don't know. And from going through hardship, I've kind of embraced the unknown and I'm really more mindful of just living my life um, mm. as it comes. So I'm not sure. I, I would like to think so, but a lot of the motivation and drive to accomplish this came from my husband getting sick. I wanted to do it before we didn't have him here. He was able to be with us for the writing, for the sale, for the publication, for the launch. And we were able to do a lot of community events surrounding the book that brought people together and did good things for other people. And he was able to be a part of that. And that was a big driving force of my motivation. So I don't know, I'm not sure. You know, that's very hard. And I, I was so sorry to hear about his passing. Thank um, you. But it's wonderful that he was able to see you accomplish all of this. Um, I am wondering, did was he here when they decided to do a sequel with you for the, for the toolbox? Yes. So again, when you have someone facing a terminal illness, you know that your time is limited and you don't have the option to waste any time. So for the first book, I had dedicated the book to my mom because she was a very big part of, you know, just encouraging me my whole life. And I had plans to dedicate, you know, the second book to my dad because they're the grandma and the grandpa. And, you know, I always thought I'd have time to dedicate a book to Ricky and the boys, but that changed with his diagnosis. So I really wanted to get a sequel in there and I wanted him to be in the dedication, which he is. And both books have an author's note that um, honors his journey and it also honors all brain cancer patients and childhood cancer patients' journeys because we've gotten involved in several groups and fundraising for certain people and charities. So it was really important to incorporate, incorporate that. And I wanted him to see that and he did. And we have pictures of him pointing to the dedication with the boys and holding the book. And he did not make it to the launch of Toolbox, but he saw everything leading up. When I was reading them and I really love both of them, I found that the Toolbox 
one when grandpa gives you a toolbox. It was more about the relationship between the, the boy and his grandfather, whereas the lemon tree was more about the girl's own journey. And I'm wondering if that has something to do with your relationship with your husband or... It might have subconsciously, but honestly, the, that shift in relationship or the shift in dynamic between the characters really stemmed originally from a safety standpoint. I knew the kid was going to be using tools. And so I'm like, I, I don't know if this is a liability <laughs> issue. But we, need, we need to make sure that there's a safety aspect here. And grandpa, it was passing down you know, his love of building and creating, and he just kind of got woven in there more. And now that you mention it, that's a big piece that our family is going to be missing. So it would make sense if I was trying to weave that relationship in there more. But originally it was not. Um, <laughs> I, I was wondering, but that actually is a very sensible reason. Thank you for, for telling us all that. I'm kind of a little teary, right? now. Um, <laughs> Lorraine, can you, can you please tell us about your journey to becoming? Yeah, I'm so glad that I got to work with Jamie for two books. So my journey to becoming an illustrator? Yeah. Um, I, okay, I always wanted, I love drawing always. I always wanted to be an artist, but I didn't know what it was called. So I remember seeing Bewitched and Darren was a commercial artist, the husband. And I said, Oh, I can do, I can make art like, and have a job. And I, I told my dad I wanted to do that. And then I just always gravitated toward the art book section in libraries or in bookstores. And I, any chance I could get, I, you know, it was pre-internet. So I'd have to be ripping pages out of magazines, not books, just magazines. So, and, and copying drawings of the masters, um, as I was growing up and that was my plan just to do art. And my dad told me, no, that wasn't going to happen. I was going to either study economics <laughs> or oh, architecture. <laughs> so architecture was closer. So I went to architecture school and uh, wasn't really into it, <laughs> but I, I graduated because I had to just do it for dad. And, uh, you know, he had the best intentions. He, he didn't think that a person could make a living mm -hmm. through art. I was working in architecture for a while and I was always drawing my coworkers during meetings and <laughs> just, you know, like drawing whatever I could get a chance yeah. to. And then finally, uh, my younger sister did get to go to art school. And oh, so <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> I know it wasn't fair at all. No. But she was dating my now brother-in-law and together they were, they were studying illustration animation and then they were in the field and they were making a living. And so my brother-in-law told me, you better just quit, just quit and go back to school. And so I did, which was oh really gosh. scary, <laughs> like <laughs> dumping everything and going back to school and then um, starting over. Yeah, it was tough. But uh, then I got a job right out of school at Industrial Light and Magic, which is uh, George Lucas. Well, it was George Lucas's company wow. you know, for Star Wars. And mm -hmm. so I was in the art department and I that's amazing. I got to contribute a a small amount to a couple of movies and then um 
I moved to Las Vegas with my husband. So I worked remotely for some video game companies. Cool. And then <laughs> we moved again. So all this moving kind of made me change my plans here and there. But then I, I became a mom and I was doing art that was more whimsical and less video gamey. I put it on blogs or wherever online. And I guess somebody took a bunch of it and put it onto a website that featured artists. And I didn't know that. And then I got an email from someone who worked for Holiday House Publishers. And she wondered if I ever illustrated picture books. And she gave me a shot to, to pitch a book to her. And I had never done it before, so I didn't really know what I was doing. And then she just said to me, oh, well, you know, I see some potential here, but you should join SCBWI, Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. So I did, and one of the first illustrator challenges that they had was for a manuscript that wasn't attached to an illustrator yet. It was Zebra on the Go. So I did the storybook challenge for that. Some other people did too, and they ended up hiring me to illustrate Zebra on the Go. So that was my first book. Wow. So Zebra in the back. So, <laughs> and then my editor for Zebra on the Go ended up leaving to become an agent and she wanted me to be her first client wow. so that my agency is red fox literary and stephanie fretwell hill is my agent and then you know things were kind of happening and not happening or i i would do um tests for books and the one that finally came in the first one with my agent was when grandma gave you gives you a lemon tree and I just loved it. I was so happy because other manuscripts came by and maybe timing didn't work out or this or that didn't work out. And it, I was okay with it. <laughs> but when I read When Grandma Gives You a Lemon Tree, I instantly was inspired and thinking about things and really liking. I, I just loved it. And I really, I also loved When Grandpa Gives You a Toolbox. I just mm -hmm. really loved Jamie's writing. So I feel like we're a good fit. Well, so I, I got to ask, when you first got that manuscript, you know, and you had that vision, what were, what were you, you know, imagining and how is it sort of different from what we see now? Oh, I, I don't know that it's that different. Really? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, uh, I just, I thought when I was reading it, I was thinking about the environment that the protagonist would live in. And I thought she, I lived in San Francisco for years and there was no green space. I lived in an apartment. I just always longed for a garden. And then sometimes there'd be pocket parks or community gardens that I would walk by and it would be like, oh, that is such, it's like a relief when you're in this dense urban environment to see this little oasis of life. So I thought I wanted the character to be in a similar setting where things needed life injected into them. So that's kind of how mm -hmm. I envisioned the environment part yeah. of the illustrations. And then also uh, just for the characters, we live in, I, I happen to live in an area that's really diverse and San Francisco was too when I lived there. Now we live in the suburbs of San Francisco. But so I just, 
wanted to have the people around me in the book um, mm -hmm. in terms of the support characters. And then in terms of the main character and, the, and her grandma, I know that there is a need for representation in picture books. So I just, I wanted the characters to be black characters. Jamie, when you were sending out this manuscript and before it, it got to Lorraine, how were you in, envisioning the, you know, the, the, the final product and, and is it sort of like how it turned out or what, what were you thinking? So one of the things that all of my more experienced picture book author friends warned me about was when you sell this manuscript, you need to remember, even as you write this manuscript, you need to remember your job is the story and really the visual representation of the story is going to be in the hands of the illustrator. It's going to be out of your hands. The publisher may or may not invite you to give your input which they did, which was great. And I didn't really have to give any input at all. I was just like, I love it. Keep it coming. <laughs> but it's really out of the writer's hands. And I did, I did mention to my agent and to my editor at Sterling that I did not need or want the character to look like me. It did not, it should not be a white character because right now that is not what is needed in the industry. And I don't know if no, I talked no. to you was we need diversity books. So let's, wow. let's do our job here. And I was wondering, and Lorraine and I have not talked about this. So I was no. wondering if they ever gave you that comment or not no. and how that all evolved. So going back to not really having a vision, I tried really hard not to. And I was really nervous because I didn't know Lorraine. She had one book <laughs> out that featured animals and I loved the, the, the human characters in her book. You never know if styles change. And so when I got the first black and white art, I just melted. I fell in love with everything oh. and it felt like it was exact. I'm getting so goosebumps. Like it, it felt like it was exactly like it needed to be. And it made me see my words and my story and my vision in a whole new light. So it, it could not have worked out more perfectly. And I was so happy that they wanted to do a second book with us. Yes. And hopefully there will be more. <laughs> hopefully. Oh, is that a, do you have any secrets to share with me about that? Any ideas on the, on the back burner there? I hate to jinx ourselves, but I also really believe when you are passionate about something and you believe in your work that sometimes it's okay to put it out in the universe. A little bit. Oh. <gasps> so <laughs> I have been working on a third manuscript for the series. Yes. And I don't know exactly what it will be, but it will feature a character who gets put into possibly a story where they discover their love of baking and Ooh. possibly turn that into a community project to support a local soup oh. kitchen. So I don't know <laughs> what might happen, but... We'll see. I will keep you posted and just fingers that crossed. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I am here for that 100%. <laughs> Me Thank too. you for, for sharing us, sharing that with us. So you guys never really spoke during the actual process of Lorraine illustrating no. your books. And when did you? Oh, oh I was just going to say that's one thing that I Jamie, I never told you this, but I didn't want to communicate with you. And I think in terms of the industry standards, usually yeah. 
illustrators and authors don't communicate, but I didn't want to communicate with you because I didn't want you, I, I was afraid that you were, you would be attached to ideas and you would try and, and say, no, it has to be this way. And I just, so I, but I'm so glad that we both were thinking the same things. And yeah. And I think that's, that's something that if you are, just the author and I don't mean that in a negative way but if you don't have the talent or the oh. you know the you know the experience to actually bring a book to life and it is a real talent you have to respect the process and I knew that going into it and I avoided communication with you too at the beginning because I didn't want you to feel like I was fishing around <laughs> for permission to talk about the book because I didn't want to interfere and I had worked so hard to not have a vision for the book. I, I didn't want to interfere with it. So it was good that we were on the same page. And now it's good to know that, you know, we are touching base here and there just through like online presence and these kinds of things. But we have that respect for each other where I'm coming up with the words and then it's in her hands. It really truly is. And it's, it's so much fun now because it's not just my book, it's both of our books and, and we're both doing our jobs and hopefully we'll continue to produce product for families and kids that enhance their bookshelves. That is lovely. Have, have you guys ever met in real life? Yeah. No. So I'm in Connecticut. <laughs> so I joke like I write the words over here on the East Coast and then they get sent out to California on the West Coast and somewhere in the middle, like the, this book disappears. <laughs> Okay. Wow. You guys seem like you know each other though. Like you got oh, that kind a, of vibe. A I'm good, feeling that like friend vibe. You know? I like that. That's good. <laughs> I, I think social media and having an online presence has helped us because we, we comment on every, we try to comment and be very responsive when people take the time yeah. to talk about our book online or post a picture of our book with their students or whatever they're doing with our book online, we really want to honor that. And so I think we're both very, we've become very good at tagging each other on things and, and really respond, being responsive. If we're putting this book out and it's touching somebody's life or heart, we want to be a part of that as much as we can. And social media kind of allows us to do that. It's such a wonderful reward when people are enjoying our book. I just, it, it makes everything wonderful. <laughs> I just love it. And I think that actually I was talking about this with somebody the other day, how, you know, new authors and people who are just putting out their first or their second picture books are much more involved on social medias than people who've been doing this for a long time. It's like a whole new, I don't want to say expectation, but a, a different idea of author and illustrator and what their part is as part of the community of book lovers. You know, it's more like less of some hermit on a mountaintop that is kind of, you know, semi-godlike and more like a person that you can you can talk to and that you kind of know. Like when we talk about your book, we're like, oh yeah, Jamie and Lorraine's book. <laughs> no, we've never met you. <laughs> so one more question for you guys tonight. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors or illustrators looking to get into the children's book world that you can take from your experiences of, of making these books? My first book took me five years from jotting down ideas in a writer's journal with my first grade students 
to hitting the shelves. That's a long time. And I had a lot going on in my life during that period of time. I had two young kids. I had a husband going through brain cancer. If this is something that somebody wants to do, it is, it's totally doable. But the way that the industry and that the kidlit community has come together to do justice for their readers, you really have to be willing to put the time in. You have to do a lot of research. And as a new author, I suggest hopping on all of the social media platforms that you can and connecting with people and connecting with educators and librarians and families and parents and even grandparents, oftentimes who are raising their grandkids and just get, get to know them on a personal level, even as you're writing your book or as you're launching your book. And you learn a lot about the people you're writing your books for. That's one of the biggest pieces of advice somebody gave me. And I have connected with so many amazing people and I've learned a lot from them. And I've heard so many stories that are now inspiring my writing and future projects. I also think you need to get involved in a writing community as a new author right away. Don't wait to find a in-person or now with everything going on, probably an online critique group. I did that almost instantly and that was one of the best things that I ever did and I still work with those people today, both in person, uh, we're online now, but they used to be an in-person group and I also have online critique partners from all over the country. Like Lorraine said, you need to join SCBWI. That's all, all online now. There's courses offered and meetups offered and it's such an important way to connect with other writers. Julie Headland is another group that I wanted to mention because they were integral in honing my craft. She runs um, a, a forum online. It's called Julie Headland's 12 by 12 picture book challenge. And it's a paid membership thing, but it's, it's incredible. And it challenges you to write 12 picture book manuscripts once a month. And it gives you some access that you might not otherwise get as a new writer to people in the industry, like editors that, and agents that you might not otherwise have access to. Um, I've done a picture book boot camp with Jane Yolen and Heidi Stemple. And if I don't know if they're ever doing that again with everything going on, but things like that where you have time with experts in the industry, it builds your confidence, it hones your craft, and you just learn about mistakes made along the way. Or I don't know, you just learn a lot by immersing yourself with the Kidlit community. We, there's a lot of great people in the community. Wow, that was some amazing and very practical advice. So I will be finding out the details of that and putting them down in the show notes for all of you listeners who are interested in that. Lorraine, do you have any pieces of advice for aspiring illustrators? Yes. Again, joining SCBWI was really valuable because I, I had a drawing foundation, but the, when you illustrate a picture book, it's different than just creating one image and that, that stands on its own. And um, I also looked at so many picture books leading up to this, mostly, well, in part because my daughter is little and we would just go to the library and I would not only get new picture books, but also old picture books and find out what I liked about them. And when I would see illustrations that were pleasing to me, I'd try to figure out why they were pleasing to me one thing that I really loved was when there'd be a secondary story going on. And my daughter would really respond to that too. So that I think allows for different ages of kids 
and even parents to appreciate the same book at different times in their development. So I tried to do that too with the cat and when grandma gives you a lemon tree or just have some other things going on, not just what Jamie wrote down. I would try to in include a little extra story that people can follow along with. That, I was going to say that that, that is 100%. I, I totally agree with you. When we're talking about, you know, what we love when, you know, us reviewers, we always go for the illustrated books that have like an, something that they add to the story, you know, like they, they're not just the story, they, they expand and they elaborate and they're just so much to discover with the little Easter eggs. I love it. Yeah, I try to do the Easter eggs. I try to come up with backstories for characters like the grandma in when grandma yeah, we didn't talk about any of those special little <laughs> details tonight <laughs> she drives a car that looks like a lemon okay <laughs> i mean I, I i just thought about her like what kind of person is she and even i made some illustrations that didn't even make it into the book like i just for myself like i have one it's somewhere on my instagram of a lemon her lemon car in this big crazy garden also just the other thing that um, I think is important is for illustrators to think about what is missing when you are looking at all of these books, what needs to happen. And right now it's maybe representation um, of different kinds of people. So I wanted to include that too. So can you guys maybe tell us one thing about this book that we might, or these, both of these books that we might not know that you guys have, have got going? Yeah, so one of the things that I was very pleasantly surprised with was that Lorraine decided to use the end papers or the end pages in the front and in the back of the book. So oftentimes when you open a picture book, you have the paste down page and then the first flip page. And it's either like a rep repetitious pattern or just a solid color. And what Lorraine did that I am absolutely obsessed with is she told a little bit more of the story before before the text starts and after the text ends. And if you look at the front end pages, you can see what the neighborhood looks like. And then without even reading the story, if you flip to the very back of the book, you can automatically see the full transformation of not only the neighborhood, but of the main character. And I think that was really, really special. And also on the back end pages, Lorraine hid a detail that leads us into the next book in the series. So in When Grandma Gives You a Lemon Tree, if you look under the back flap, you'll notice a green truck, greenish bluish truck with a toolbox in the back. And that's a little wink to readers that the second book is going to be When Grandpa Gives You a Toolbox. And so the same thing in When Grandpa Gives You a Toolbox, if you open up to the front end pages, she gives us a glimpse of the neighborhood before we even begin to read. And we see the little um, main character waiting for grandpa to pull in and he's all alone and there's nobody outside and you can flip to the very back without even reading the story and get a glimpse of the full transformation of the story and the neighborhood and the main character and again under the back flap there may or may not be a little clue hinting towards what will hopefully someday be a third book in the series amazing Lorraine what's what's one of your favorite things one of my favorite things is that I have been able to sneak in people who I know and love into 
uh, both of these books. So when people are lined up to get lemonade from the lemonade stand, I include my friend Tom and his family. He was the best man at my wedding and uh, all my friend Nadia and her sons. And, and they end up making it into when grandpa gives you a toolbox. You see the children handing over um, their toys to the protagonist of When Grandpa Gives You a Toolbox, including a ship, and that's Nadia and her family. So I do that. And then I also do include a lot of, I try to include a lot of details from When Grandma Gives You a Lemon Tree into When Grandpa Gives You a Toolbox. So at the end of When Grandma Gives You a Lemon Tree, you can see that there's a little lemon tree in the end pages on the stoop, and that's lemon tree number two that probably the protagonist grew from one of her seeds oh. from the lemon it's in that red can and then you see her in when grandpa gives you a toolbox walking her little lemon tree sapling around the neighborhood in a little um stroller so That's she's so nice. in and the, the cat also makes it into both books wonderful thank you for sharing that with us that's wonderful. Okay. Oh, like, yes. Can I say one oh, more thing? You absolutely can. This was important too, because a lot of people don't know that I wrote the lemon tree when grandma gives you a lemon tree and I was submitting it like crazy. I, and I got almost 30 rejections oh. from agents and editors and it was either like a hard no, like we basically can't stand this story. Oh. They don't say it in those <laughs> words, but like a hard no, you know, they just don't like it or which is called the form rejection or they give you some feedback and sometimes the feedback was like an entire shift of the storyline or an entire shift of who knows what the vision and i really believed in this book and i was willing to revise and edit appropriately but i wasn't willing to change the vision it was a book of my heart and when i was at jane yellen and heidi stemple's picture book boot camp Jane said, write the book of your heart. And it just stuck with me. And this was and is the book of my heart. And I never changed the vision. The vision for this book and eventually for this series was meant to represent an individual's struggle with something and how their attitude and their actions can not only shift their individual struggle, but it can also make a positive impact in their community. And I was not willing to change that vision and I did try to revise and edit, but it was never as strong. And I'm so glad that I, I stuck with it for as long as I did because Sterling loved it. And here we are now two books out and I really, I believe in the vision and I hope that we get to keep going with it. So there is a time to listen to others input and everything like that. But as far as totally giving up on a concept, it's, if it's a book of the heart, you should stick with it. And even if it takes years, make it happen. Well, on that note, that's lovely. Thank you so much for that encouragement. And thank you both so much for being here. For all you listeners, if you are not already following Jamie and Lorraine, you can find them on Instagram and you can buy their books wherever books are sold. And you should please go buy them immediately. So thanks everybody for tuning in to another episode of Picture Books and Justice. And I'm Allie. And good night. Oh, also subscribe, please. Please subscribe. Good night. Bye.